just straight up. It's good. Like we're on the, the trajectory is up. There's lots of vision for this relationship. It's awesome. But then somewhere along the line, something started to happen. And you might not know, it might have been some big event, or it might have just been like there was some sort of drift, you know, where it was like whatever they thought this was about and whatever I thought this was about started to just have a little bit of divergence, you know. And the, it wasn't as clear anymore. We weren't completely on the same page anymore. And maybe there was some tension that eventually came in because of that. Um, maybe at some point I really was hurt or disappointed by that person. Or maybe I was even disappointed by myself, you know, and the fact that I couldn't be engaged in this relationship to the extent that I really wish I could have. And I, you know, you had an experience like that, I'm sure, at some point in your life. And then you stand there and you're kind of like, where do you go from here? You know, like <clears throat> now that it's not what it was and we thought it was this and now it's not, it's not that it's all bad. We just don't know, like, where do you go from here? Have you experienced that? How about maybe in your relationship with God? Take that relationship that you were just thinking of, put that aside. Now put it in your relationship with the Lord. Have you ever had those moments in your spiritual life where, you know, the fire was lit, right? It was engaged. You had a moment where it was like, wow, this is awesome. And all of a sudden your hopes got really high and you started pursuing your relationship with the Lord and good things were happening. And you saw God moving. When you read the scriptures, it would jump off the page. You were in community with other people and it was working and you allowed your faith to rise, you know, to believe that God could really do incredible things. And, but then somewhere along the line, something began to happen. And again, it may be really clear what happened or it might not be. It might just be like, ah, life got kind of tough, you know, and I got kind of distracted by this and I thought this was going to turn out this way and I ended up getting hurt by that and there was kind of a divergence of path. And, and maybe at some point it even got to the place where it's like, Whatever God expects of this relationship might be a little bit different than what I was expecting. I was expecting it to be X, Y, Z. And it turns out, like, I don't see that happening. And that can be kind of, like, disheartening, you know? And you get to the place where it's like, I expected it to be something else, you know? And uh, have you ever been there? You know, and, and maybe, maybe you get to the place where you're disappointed. Like, maybe this is everything it's cracked up to be, but I just couldn't get there. I can't keep my disciplines up, or I can't sustain this level of faith or my life. I just keep getting distracted by this stuff. And so while maybe all of that's actually there with Christ, I can't actually sustain it. And what happens in either that previous relationship we talked about or in our relationship with God is that it's very easy at that point to kind of get stuck and to plateau do you know what I mean? And, and you can even get to a place of confusion where it's not that I don't believe in God anymore. Sure, I believe that God exists. And it's not that I don't have moments where like I'm listening to a message or in the middle of a praise song or reading my Bible in the morning or whatever it is where I have a moment and something cool happens, but it's not like the constant like goodness, you know? And, and now it's like, and so it's not as easy to just like have, you know, be locked in, so to speak. And what ends up happening is that really it's easy to get disoriented. Do you know what I mean? Where you don't know necessarily what the next step is. Like, where do we go from here? We had all this experience. We had faith. We had hope. And now it didn't quite turn out exactly the way I had hoped. And, and I'm disappointed maybe a little bit in myself. And now where do we go from here? Because now it's like, what's the next step? You can't get back to that, like, fresh faith of just like, boom, and that can be a struggle, you know? Well, the reason I say all that is because I believe that's kind of the context of this story. 
at least for Peter, um, and maybe for some of the other apostles, which might sound funny because, you know, Jesus has just risen from the dead. So it should be, doesn't it seem like it should be just nothing but like blazing success now and woo, you know, like the resurrection. But you find with these guys in these stories, it doesn't all feel just like super excitement about the resurrection of Jesus. Without a doubt, they're excited. You know, there's no question that the scriptures reveal that there's some excitement. But I, I don't know. Have you, ever, have you ever surprised someone with something and you thought it was going to end up being a bigger deal than it was? You know? Or like it actually was a big deal, but at first they couldn't quite process it quick enough and you're expecting like immediate response. Like you gave that Christmas present and you thought they were going to be like, whoa. You know, and they were just like, wow, that's cool. Thanks. And you're like, no, I'm looking for more than that. You know, like, have you ever had that kind of experience? You know, we have, uh, we went to Disney and uh, I never really thought we were going to go to Disney, but our youngest guy, he has this like crazy infatuation with Disney. I have no idea where it came from. Honestly, like every two weeks of his entire existence, he would ask us if we were going to Disney. Um, And I, is, I don't know where it came from. We don't watch that much Disney. We, didn't, we never watch Mickey Mouse. I don't know where the Disney thing came from, but he was all about it to the, to the extent that one time, <laughs> I love this, he t- it, was, it was my dad's birthday, okay? And he took his piggy bank and he took everything out of his piggy bank and he dumped it into a Ziploc bag, sealed the Ziploc bag, and he uh, wraps it up and gives it to my dad for his birthday. And then my dad opens it up. He's like, wow, thanks, Colt. What's that about? And he said, well, this is for when you take us to Disney. <laughs> you can put that away. Just to help out. I'm pitching in, you know. <laughs> so funny. And, uh, you know, like, well, so then, like, the day when uh, the, the kids were told they were going to Disney, it was our whole family was going. All the cousins were going and everything. We were on Skype. And all the cousins were hanging out together, and they were discovering together they were going to to Disney, and the, the cousins out in Iowa, they flipped out. As soon as they figured out, like each kid had a present, and it said they each had a word, and it spelled out a sentence, like you're going to Disney, okay? And the, so then they, they, the kids in Iowa, they, they were like, what? You know, and my boys, like, you know, I really anticipated they were going to flip. But they just like sat there, like staring at the screen, and then kind of looking at us and staring at the screen. I'm like, did you get it? Like we're going to Disney, you know? And they're still just kind of like looking around. Within five to ten minutes, they're running around the house packing their bags, trying to figure out like, you know, and they're all excited. But I really expected the initial response to reveal something, you know, and it didn't. They were, it was just like they were having a hard time processing, you know what I mean? Like it's like this whole thing that they'd been looking forward to their whole lives all of a sudden was happening and they couldn't, it couldn't. And I think that when Jesus rises from the dead, like it is so mind-boggling to the apostles that, you know, you would expect that Jesus rises from the dead. Yeah, victory, you know, and he's alive. And like, this is it, the kingdom of God. But I have a feeling they were so disoriented at this point that they're just like, what? You know, like it was a real shocker. And what's more is, is that there's a whole lot more that happened in the crucifixion of Jesus than just them losing their friend and just them losing, you know, the Messiah. This was like all of their expectations, all of their paradigms, all of their personal identity and their self-esteem. So much of this stuff, particularly in Peter, was shattered. And it was shattered. I mean, think about, think about how this works with Peter, you know? 
I mean, like, he was, he's this young guy who, you know, is, he has a pretty successful fishing business, presumably. You know, he's strong as an ox. He could haul in 153 fish in this thing. So he's a really strong guy. You know, he's, he's obviously uh, mentally a very strong man, you know? And so he's, he's solid guy, strong, tough, do it on your own, all of that. And then Jesus comes, and, and they have this business, but then Jesus comes, and as far as we know, at this point in their life, they don't have attachments. They don't have wife and kids and that type of thing. But they do have this business. And Jesus comes and says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they experienced something, an initial experience that allowed them to believe there was going to be something really good. And so they actually decide, he and his buddies decide, they're going to take the risk. And they're going to leave the, the fishing business behind, which is a big risk because you never know if you're going to get market share back in the fishing business. You know what I mean? Like, so they leave this behind and they go and they jump in to following Jesus. And I would imagine that for some people, some of their family members, this would have been weird. I mean, even though, you know, following a rabbi is a, a kind of a normal thing or whatever, there was still a real sense of them like up and leaving the business. Like, what about the girl down the street who really likes you, Peter, you know, and you have a, a business set up, you could make your life work out. And he just decides, I'm taking off because this guy's got something to offer. And he runs after and they take the big risk and a number of them do. And they just straight up go and follow Jesus. Now, very quickly, they're rewarded for that. Because they start experiencing things that they had never even thought of before, or they had never seen, you know, and they start seeing the miraculous. And there's mind boggling teaching, of course, that uh, like, just completely bends everything they had thought of before. And so that, all that stuff starts to happen, right? Where they're, they're experiencing things they had never experienced. Now, after this, they go for like two and a half years maybe, but somewhere along the line, there's that divergence, okay? And Peter, something happens with Peter where... You even get the sense with Peter that at first he kind of thought he was like Jesus' big brother. You ever get that feeling when you're reading it? Like he thought it was his job to protect Jesus. And when Jesus was like, I'm going to go to the cross and die, he's always like, no, we're not going to let that happen. You know, like he's like, it's his job to steward his little brother, Jesus, who has an incredible gift and is blowing his mind. And yet he kind of feels like there's something about him who's supposed to make all this happen. But yeah, somewhere in the process, there's this divergence, right, where Peter starts to realize, you know, at first I just thought it was like Jesus wasn't, didn't quite get how he should have managed this situation, so I need to help him out. But eventually it gets to this place where he's like, no, Jesus is intentionally seeing things and doing things different than how I see it. And Peter has this big vision for how it should be, and Jesus' vision apparently is different. And it's getting weird. You can tell it's getting weird between the like, you know, you're Peter and I'm going to build my rock, uh, my church upon this rock to get behind me Satan and like all that different stuff that happens with them. And then ultimately it culminates, of course, the, the, the pinnacle of this is the night, you know, that dreadful night when Peter's cutting off ears when he shouldn't be and he's not wanting Jesus to wash his feet. And, you know, there's just this constant struggle. And then at the end of it, his, his friend, his savior, his hero is crushed by the Roman government, by the Jewish leaders. And Peter's not only left holding a bag of pain, there's this whole identity struggle at this point. I mean, can you imagine? It's not just that everything's been building up to this moment, and it's like this is the Messiah, the promised one, who's been, you know, and, and we're a part of that. And he was like, 
you know, big tough Peter gets to ride the Jesus train to glory, you know, is kind of how it is. That's how he's been envisioning this thing. But then not only does the Jesus train come crashing down, it's that Jesus himself has communicated very clearly to Peter that Peter's not all he thought he was, you know? And one of the most dreadful moments in Scripture in, in my own when I read the scripture, one of the, there's one, one of these moments that just makes me cringe is the moment when Peter denies Jesus for the third time. And then he turns around and it says, and their eyes met. Like I can't, I have a really hard time handling that when I read that in the scripture. Like what it would feel like for the eyes of Peter to meet Jesus right after he denied him for the third time and here Jesus is bleeding out, you know? Like I, that's... The level of self-disappointment, the level of shame in that moment is pretty profound, you know? It, it, it always reminds me, we talk about this at Tenebrae, at the Good Friday service, it always reminds me of uh, when, when Adam, you know, the separation between Adam and Eve and God, and that moment of separation, and that must have been the feeling. You know, like, coming out of Jesus' eyes was nothing but love for Peter, but you know, Peter couldn't feel it or receive it. All he had was shame, you know? And so now... He's, you know, he has enough moxie to still hang out with his brothers back in the, in the upper room. Um, you know, they're all just kind of desperate, probably don't know what to do. And then Jesus shows up. And this is the moment where, of course, we expect like, yay, resurrection, it's awesome. But there's like, there's a huge level of, of emptiness inside of them right now. A huge level of disenchantment, a huge level of disappointment. In, not just in the fact that Christ was, was, was crucified, but their own ability to understand what was happening and their own ability to keep up with Jesus. You know what I mean? And so now he shows up. Here he is in the room with them. And I don't know how, much, how long Jesus is there or how much he explains to them or whatever. But eventually, you know, without, without too much time, he's gone again. You know, and he just disappears. What do you do with that? You know, like, holy cow, Jesus rose from the dead. Where'd he go? You know, and then later he shows up once more and then he's going again. These guys spent three years hanging out with this guy. He interpreted their whole lives and the whole, he interpreted everything for them. Then he dies and blows all their minds. Then he shows up and disappears, shows up, disappears. These guys have to be extremely confused at this point, right? I mean, I know I would be. And with that level of shame and disappointment, like it's almost like, do I want Jesus to show up right now? Cause I'm so embarrassed anyway, you know? And, and so now, here they are, and this is the third time that Jesus shows up. And, uh, of course, where does that leave Peter? What does he do after, you know, being in that state of confusion, after, like, having all the hopes and then the hopes dashed and being disappointed in himself, and Jesus shows up, and they're supposed to have a relationship now, but he doesn't know what to do, and it's confusing. So what does he do? He goes fishing, you know. And I, I know some of you enough to know that that's what you would do, too, is go fishing, you know. Um, so all of us would do something. For some of us, that's fishing. For some of us, it's, you know, we'd go get lost in a coffee shop somewhere. For some of us, we'd go home and read a book or, you know, we'd go to the gym or, and work out or we'd do whatever it is we do to kind of find our place of peace, you know, that original place where we know how to just, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to do the thing I know how to do, you know, and just try to find some space. And so that's what's going on with Peter. I'm going fishing. And of course, the rest of the guys are like, well, a lot of the guys are like, hey, we're going too. So they go out in the boat. <clears throat> it's really easy to revert, you know, to you just kind of go to the safe place, to the 
to the place of home. Now, here's the good news is that they didn't catch any fish. Now, why is that good news? <laughs> you know, how is it good news that they didn't catch any fish? Well, uh, you know, the good news is that uh, there's this huge temptation when you go fishing, uh, when you go back to, when you revert to your old ways to find identity in the old kind of way of life. You know what I mean? I, ha- I had my relationship with God. It was great. And then it leveled off and it plateaued. And I'm not feeling very thrilled about it. So I'm going to kind of dabble with like what I used to know. And then you go back to what it is you used to know. And if all of a sudden that works and you're feeling good again, it's kind of like, all right, I'm going to start rebuilding back where I was before. You know? But they fish all night and they don't get anything, which is radically disappointing because not only was Jesus dying on the cross, but they can't even catch fish. You know? And so, again, uh, very disappointing. And, um, but then it's in this spot right here where they're fishing, where they're kind of back to square one, where Jesus shows up. And this is a pretty profound thought, actually, that they weren't pursuing Jesus. He did say that he'd meet them up in Galilee. But you don't see that. They don't know how to find Jesus right now. All they know is to go back to what they did know. And they're in the middle of just chilling out, and Jesus shows up. And, of course, they don't recognize Jesus when he first shows up. And uh, at first, it it might have been because he was too far away. I'm not sure. It doesn't really say. But it says they didn't know it was Jesus. And what's amazing is, is that the part of the, the uh, verse 12 that I told you about is it says that even if they did see Jesus, there's obviously something very different about him, isn't there? Because they wanted to ask if it was really him, but no one dared ask, right? And so they wanted to know, they wanted to actually like feel it out, is this really Jesus? And something has changed. And we know something's changed. I mean, they've changed and Jesus has changed. How have they changed? They've changed because, you know, they used to be all idealistic. For Peter, it was completely black and white. We're going to set up the kingdom of God. We're going to rock this world, and we're going to take it by storm because we got Jesus on our side, and uh, did you see these guns? You know, like that's kind of like where Peter's mindset is, you know? And then all of a sudden, his world has been rocked, and he's been battle-worn now. And everything that used to be crystal clear and black and white there's different shades of gray now. And it's not all as easy. It doesn't make as much sense anymore. And so here he is, Peter, uh, along with everyone else, and they're changed. And Jesus is on the scene, but they're different. And what's more is there's something, at least on the surface, that's different about Jesus. We know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But something about the way he appeared looked different to them now than it used to. And we know that because, I mean, like Mary in the garden, right, when she's talking to the gardener, she doesn't know it's Jesus. And, uh, you know, the people on the road to Emmaus, they don't know that it's Jesus. You know, there's something different about his physical appearance. He can walk through walls. You know, there is something very different. And um, so here he is, and they don't know who he is. You know, the, the other day um, I had the boys. Um, they, they're uh, memorizing verses from each book of the Bible. And what we're doing for devotions this year is taking the verses that they're memorizing and we're discussing, each day we'll discuss one of the verses that they have memorized, and we'll just kind of talk about it and say, you know, what does this mean? And uh, one of the ones we were dealing with was in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema, uh, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And so we were talking about that. What does it look like to love God with your heart? What does it mean to love God with your soul? What does it mean to love God with your strength? So now we're talking about what is a heart, what is a soul, what is a strength? And Evan, it was hilarious. He's like, why would Jesus want to live in my heart anyway? It's so nasty in there. It's all blood and like, 
you know, and, you know, having to get to the place where we're not, we're understanding there's something different than that physical heart. And so, yeah, how do you explain that to, you know, six and seven year old? And we're trying to work through that. We end up talking about Thessalonians, where it says we're sanctified in spirit, soul, and body, and Hebrews 4, you know, the word of God separates the soul and the spirit, and trying to explain, ah, how do these different parts, like, how do you explain this to our kids? And, and as I'm working through this, I, I, this is what came to my mind. I was like, you know, if you, um, they were trying to figure out, like, which part of me is saved eternally, you know, which part lives forever and all that and, and uh, what's that look like? Is that the part that does this or the part that... And so this is the thought that came to me. I said, so if you were blindfolded and you were in a room and you couldn't, uh, you, you couldn't see and um, you didn't know who was coming in the room, but your family came in the room. And uh, when they came in the room, their voices were distorted. Like they were speaking through a machine that distorted their voices. You know, but they were talking, but you couldn't uh, understand their voice. Like you didn't know it was their voice. And you couldn't touch them. So if you couldn't touch them, and you couldn't see them, and you didn't know the tone of their voice, would you still be able to figure out that it's your family? You know, uh, without them straight up telling you, this, you know, we're your family. Would you be able to figure it out? And at first they were like, no. You know, like, we wouldn't know it's our family. And I was like, well, you might. Because like, what do I always say when you ask me this? I always say this, right? And so... If you heard me say that, at first you might be like, well, that's weird. That's what daddy says, you know? But if there was enough of those daddy things that really started to get connected, you might say, this is really weird. It doesn't sound like daddy's voice, and I can't see him, but he keeps saying all the same things that daddy says. After a while, you might get the hint, maybe this is daddy, and something weird happened to his voice, you know? And, um, and there's ways that we know people that are beyond just what we can see and touch and smell, there are deeper things. There are patterns. There's the way we react to things. There's things that are deeper. And that's how we were trying to explain the soul. It's deeper. You know, it's deeper. And when it came to these guys recognizing Jesus, how do they recognize Jesus? You know, because I don't think it's his body. I mean, there might have been some similarities. But I, I have a feeling it's no closer than like if you see someone for, who you were in school with a long, 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 long time ago, and you go to a reunion, and they look very, very different. You know, it, you might not even notice. I was in Target the other day, um, just just the other day with Jen. We were looking for a birthday present for Evan. His birthday's tomorrow, and um, I passed someone who uh, I, I looked at her, and and we walked past, and I, I was like, man, I know her from somewhere, and I'm trying to figure it out. And then finally, it clicked. I'm like, I was in elementary school with her, and I'm like, I haven't seen her since elementary school. And, and yet we're in our 30s now, and like, but her face, still there was something vaguely familiar. And I, you know, I put it together. And I have a feeling that what was going on with Jesus physically was that there was some similarities, but there was also some things that were drastically different. And so the way that to recognize Jesus was not primarily with the body. So how is it that these guys recognize Jesus is the question. Because they've related to Jesus this way for such a long time. And now this guy's resurrected and the way they're going to have to relate to him is different. He walks through walls. He shows up and he disappears. He looks different. Their relationship with God has to be reinvented. You know? It has to be rediscovered. And how are they going to do that? And so they're fishing and they're disappointed because they're not catching anything. And they're sad and they're trying to revert to, you know, finding their old ways of stability and can't get anything. And Jesus shows up. And he says, cast your nets on the other side. And um, they cast the nets on the other side and just get slammed with fish. 
Is that reminiscent of anything? Of course, that's reminiscent of Luke chapter 5, which is when they first met Jesus. This is, well, it's at least when he first calls them, you know? And he calls them, and that's the time when he says, put your nets down one more time, and the nets are bursting and all this stuff. And that's when they flip out, you know, and they're like, whoa. Now, what's interesting is, is if my boy was blindfolded, and I walked into the room, and I said one phrase that's a phrase that I normally say, would he automatically assume that that's dad? No, he'd say, oh, that's interesting, that's what dad says, you know? And in the same way, like, why do we assume that just because one time some guy said, hey, there's fish, and here's the net, and there's lots of fish in it, I mean, it could have been that he saw something from the shore, and he said, hey, put your net on the other side, I can see, you know, a dark cloud over there. But the instant that they experience this, someone knows. Who knows? John. Of course, it's John. John's the one whose heart is always just right there in touch with him. He's the one at the foot of the cross. He's the one leaning on him at the, at the Last Supper. And so there's this deep, deep heart connection that John has with him that's way beyond the surface. And there's something going on where they're all fishing and they're doing their thing and they hit all these fish and you would think they'd be stoked about the fish and excited about the fish. But John, he is focused on one thing. Where's Jesus? He's still there, you know? And it was like, bam, there he is. Where is he? Oh, it's that guy who said it. So then he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, it's the Lord, you know? And Peter didn't get it, you know? Peter is always the first one to talk, but not usually the first one to get it. And he's like, he, he's, he, this amazing thing is that Peter, he had taken off his outer garment, you know? And uh, there, that, that in and of itself is a pattern. The outer garment thing we could talk about with Jesus washing the disciples' feet and stuff like that. There's a pattern there, but but he has his outer garment out, presumably because he's swimming around in the water, fixing the nets, doing that type of thing. You know, it's hot out. And so he's working. And now, you know, when Jesus shows up and John recognizes it, all of a sudden, Peter, it's like, bam. This, for this time is the first time that you see a major reaction in Peter. Right? He's had time. He's been processing. He's been thinking things through. And now he realizes Jesus is here. I'm up in the boat. And so he takes his outer garment and he throws it on and he jumps into the water. He's as impulsive as he's ever been. You know, so there's no lack, uh, there's no change in the fact that he's an impulsive dude. His personality is still there. But what his impulses are, where his heart is, has obviously changed. Do you remember what happened in Luke chapter 5 when God, when Jesus called them? When he called them through that, they, they, they had all the fish in the net and they come ashore and they bring, them to sh- bring it to shore and then Peter has an interaction with Jesus. Anyone remember what that interaction was? He does this. He gets on his knee and he says, get away from me. I am a sinner. Get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. And that kind of thing happens <clears throat> appropriately in the sense that we're broken in our own humility. But I also get this sense with, with Peter that there was a part of Peter, too, who was also very, very competitive, you know? And he was always kind of comparing himself. And he realized, Jesus is up here, and I'm down here. So let's keep it that way, because I feel super awkward right now, because I'm a sinner, and you're holy, you know? And that was his initial reaction to Jesus. There's another time that Jesus was outside the boat, and Peter wanted to come to him. Do you remember when that was? Of course, when he walks on water, right? And so the initial time 
there's some separation because Peter's um, kind of intimidated by Jesus. The second time, Jesus is walking on water, and, G- and, and Peter wants a part of that too. So he jumps out of the boat, and he walks on water. This time, Peter's no less impulsive, but his reaction is not to separate himself from Jesus. And his reaction is not to do something special or to do something cool. His reaction is to grab his coat and to jump in the water and get to Christ as fast as he possibly can. Because Peter's changed, you know? He's come to terms with his own humanity. He's broken. He's a broken, war-torn man. Things are not black and white. He's not going to conquer the world. He's not anything special. But Jesus is, and he just wants to be with him, you know? And, uh, and you watch it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it is a beautiful, beautiful story. And so, so Peter finally gets there. He finally, uh, you know, gets to interact with Jesus. And for me, this speaks to me in a certain way. And it says that when there are those times where we're confused, where we don't know where the next step is, where the spiritual life isn't as black and white and where it's not clear. And we've always related to Jesus a certain way and we've experienced him this way and this way and this. But now it's kind of different and I don't experience him quite the same way or things have changed and things aren't quite as clear and I've received wounds and I've been hurt by other people and I've been disappointed in my own inabilities and my relationship with God and I don't know what the next step is and I just go fishing, you know? For me... This is a very encouraging story that says Jesus is going to find us there and he'll meet us there. And if we are humble enough to receive Christ, there's a whole other way of relating to Jesus. You know, rather than me just hitching my wagon to the Jesus train, hoping that there's going to be something cool. Instead, I can be a broken sinner who receives the presence of the living God in my life no matter what else is going on. And while he might not look, it might not be crystal clear, visible, that he's, it's Jesus this way and all of his profoundness. Instead, it might be he's kind of hidden a little bit. And I got to find him. But he's always there. You know, and he's always with me. And you see this. You, you see how, uh, you know, in these weird moments, he just shows up. I love it with, I love, uh, with Mary Magdalene when she's sitting there in the garden and talking to the gardener and she doesn't know who he is. But when does she figure out that it's Jesus? When he calls her name, right? And so again, physical appearance, she doesn't necessarily recognize Jesus. She doesn't get everything that's going on. But then he just says, Mary. And I don't know what it was about the way he said Mary, but when she heard her name called by God, boom, life changed. Or how about the guys on the road to Emmaus? I love this one too. You know, there are, anybody um, go to see the Rembrandt? Uh, at Philadelphia Art Museum, the whole Jesus Rembrandt thing last year. It was awesome, you know, and one of Rembrandt's uh, favorite things to paint about was this story of the road to Emmaus. And there, he had this, this painting where they'd be sitting there. It's the picture of these two guys in the room after they were walking on the road to Emmaus, after the resurrection, and Jesus is walking with them, and they're interacting with him. They have no idea it's Jesus. They're all upset about the events that have just taken place. They're stressed out. They're not able to to see what's actually happening because they're all in their head. You know what I mean? And then, and then they finally sit down and they have him and, they, and he breaks the bread. Another pattern, right? And the pattern, they see the pattern. And when they see it's Jesus, bam, everything changes. And he disappears. And that's Rembrandt always captures this moment where Jesus has just disappeared. There's crumbs laying all over the place and the guys are like, Ugh. 
You know, like, what do you do with that? You know, and um, that what do they what do they say after that moment? They say this great thing. They say, did not our hearts burn within us when he taught us as we walked along the road? When he opened up the scriptures to us, did not our hearts burn within us? And, uh, you know, this is it's, it's a classic example, again, of the fact that Jesus very, very present with people who were extremely unaware of his presence. As a matter of fact, they were straight up disappointed about his lack of presence when he's walking with them. They're complaining to him about the fact that he's gone, you know? And yet he's walking right there with them, and inside, their hearts are actually burning, but they can't receive what they know in their heart because they're stuck in their head because of all the junk that they've experienced. And they still want control of their life, and so they're trying to make sense of everything, and they're all stuck up in their head, and they don't know what to do the next step. They don't know how to find Jesus. They don't know, and they can't just chill out and find in their heart the fact that this guy who's walking with them is the one who's walked with them for the last 30 years. You know, they can't figure it out. And then they do because the pattern happens. And Jesus shows up and he calls Mary's name and he gives them the fish, 153 fish. And he, and he breaks the bread and he, and he reveals the patterns of his goodness. Little triggers in their mind that can just let them know, wait, this is Jesus. And as soon as that little trigger happens, and as soon as they see it, everything else changes. The spirit changes, in their, their spirit, their mind changes, eyes are open, and they start to see a whole other world, you know? And they see things differently. And you look at this situation, I mean, the, the metaphors or the, uh, the patterns are all over it, you know? It's incredible, the patterns that, that, that Jesus is revealing in this story. And so here they are in their brokenness, and they start to realize, like, Jesus is actually here with me. Jesus is here with me. I don't know what it's like for you right now. For some of you, uh, life might be like, just might be sweet. Your spiritual life might be candy right now, which is awesome. You know, enjoy it. Drink deeply of, of that moment, you know. For others, you might be in a spot where it's like, wow, this used to be a lot easier. And it used to be a lot easier for me to connect with other believers. It used to be a lot easier for me to kind of do the church thing. It used to be a lot easier for me to open the word in the morning and get into it. But right now when I open the word, I don't see Jesus jumping off the page. And I really thought life was going to turn out like this spiritually, but it hasn't. It's been a lot harder than I thought or weirder than I thought or whatever. And if you're in that spot, this is, this, I believe this story really speaks profoundly to that. You know, And uh, it's amazing how... We can come into a situation. Have you you've been in a situation where two people saw a situation completely and totally differently? You know? Where, you know, like, that always blows my mind. Especially, like, if there's marriage counseling. And, you know, this is a great moment when you see it where it's like two people looked at a situation and saw something radically different, you know, from each other. And you're just like, wow, how did you see that and you see that, you know? And sometimes it's just different angles and different perspectives. Sometimes it's also about, like, where our hearts are at. You know, sometimes we see things based on where our hearts are. Where one person can be very critical about something, another person might just be inquisitive. Huh, why'd you do that? And the other person might be like, why'd you do that? You know, and uh, you know, for another person, they might be really discouraged by a situation and another person might see it as a great challenge. Oh, wow, this makes it interesting. You know, and uh, there's, there's a number of different situations like that where a person can be concerned for someone else or offended by someone else. All in the same situation, you know? Like, wow, it's interesting you acted like that. Are you okay? As opposed to, like, being offended. And any time that we're in a situation, 
where Christ is revealing himself. We may or may not fully experience what it is that Jesus has for us in that moment. You know, we might be seeing him or we might not be seeing him. And where we are in our faith is really uh, kind of determines that in a lot of ways. But even if we're at that stuck and confused place where we can't quite see it all clearly and we're frustrated, we're banging our head against the wall or whatever, Jesus still shows up in that moment. You know, he's still there and he still stands on the banks of our shore and he still calls out to us and he still says, throw your net down one more time. Just give it a shot. Just try me and see what happens. You know, just listen. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been disappointed with yourself and with me. But just give it another shot, you know? Just listen one more time and see what happens. Just don't bail, you know? Just don't bail, and I'll be here, and I'll reveal myself to you faithfully. And, you know, I love how it all wraps up here and toward the last few verses of this passage is that when he's breaking the bread and giving them the bread and the fish, obviously this is reminiscent of when he feeds the the 4,000 and feeds the 5,000, you know, the 4,000 Gentiles and there's seven basketfuls left over and the, the, the 5,000 Jews and 12 basketfuls left over. And there's a lot of symbolism there, you know, why is there 12 basketfuls left over and each of the apostles has a basket, you know, because they're also to feed the sheep and, you know, they're supposed to be shepherds and so they are being provided for so that they can provide for others, you know, and God miraculously multiplied manna and brought it to to the Israelites. And now he's providing for them through the bread of life, who he's allowing these guys to be messenger boys with the bread of life, who they take it to the nation. You know, And there's all this symbolism and these patterns, and he's speaking to them. And if they have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, they can realize Jesus is every bit as present as he was when he walked with us. That he's here, and he hasn't changed, and he's every bit as powerful, and he's, his love is still present, and he's strong, and he's excited, and he thinks that we can change the world, you know, and he's still there, and this isn't over, it's not washed up, it's not dead, this is renewed. What's exciting is, is Jesus can rise from the dead and ascend to heaven and seemingly leave me alone, and yet I find him everywhere I go. You know, and what looks like the death of a vision, what looks like the end of their journey with Christ, as it turns out, this story marks a new beginning. Because John, in chapter 20, it really brings everything to conclusion. And chapter 21 is an epilogue. It's, you know, it's, it's an addendum onto the end. Where they tell the story, and, and what's special about the story is it doesn't fit in. It's not like we need to, it's not like John needs to prove to us that Jesus rose from the dead. He already did that. He already showed up to these different people. This story on the end is the commissioning of a new relationship with Jesus. This story on the end is the commissioning of their call, which Peter had let go of. And he was like, I'm not that guy anymore. You know, and he had given up hope and Jesus is bringing him back in. And he's like, I'm still putting fish in your net. (laughs) And, you know, right after this, of course, is the big restoration where he asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter can't say that he agape loves God. He knows that he doesn't love God to the extent that he should. But eventually he admits that he loves him like a brother. He still loves him like a brother. And Jesus accepts that. And he says, since you love me like a brother, get out there and feed my sheep because I'm with you. I'm filling the net. 
You know, I'm filling the baskets. I got your bread. I got your fish. You got everything you need. I'm always going to be with you. Don't get stuck in your head because you failed. Get over it. You're a failure. You know, it is what it is. Get over it. I'm a success and I love you and let me use you because it's what you're made for and you will find all the glory and all the joy and all the peace you want, not from going back to fishing, but from doing what I asked you to do. And while you can't walk into that with your pride and with your chest stuck out, you can still walk into it with me and therefore you can have great joy. And see, that's the real, that's the real change, you know? is that Peter wanted to conquer the world with his chest stuck out. And then when it didn't work out, he just said, well, now I can't do anything. And Jesus says, no, you can do more than you thought you could. You just can't stick your chest out. You know, you can, you can enjoy my presence. You can enjoy my presence. And I'm with you all the time. And so please, please don't get stuck or, or, or you know, so disenfranchised that you can't receive from me anymore. It's, it's more possible than ever. It's more possible than ever. The hope is bigger than ever. But let your joy be found in me. You know, and, he, and he's there. And Jesus is there to be found at all times. We will seek him and we will find him when we seek him with all of our hearts. And even when we fail, he'll still be there waiting for the moment where we repent and return and receive and enjoy. Amen? Let's pray.